Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You have to be a lifelong learner. And without asking questions, you just simply can't grow as a leader, as an engineer, whatever your profession happens to be. And what holds people back sometimes, I think, is just insecurity because they don't want to make it sound like they don't know what they're doing. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, my name is Anna, and I help established not-for-profits and service businesses on a mission to really leverage social media technology to connect with their community, share the message, build more donations and greater impact. I design simple, effective, and ethical social media strategies to shift how we use social media to help those who are making a huge difference cut through. You are very welcome to connect with me on Instagram at Anna Kochetkova, or same name on Facebook. I would love to learn a little bit more about you as well. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. I've been on David Meltzer, this businessman, has been doing these live webinars on Fridays, and they're pretty good. And one of the things he said, don't get interesting, be interested meaning like get curious. And it's something my therapist tells me a lot, like to get curious, to not jump to assumptions, to not judge or criticize, but rather to get curious about where someone else is coming from, to become interested and to ask a lot of questions. I think that's a really powerful way to move forward in life, both personally and professionally, because We all think differently. We all come from different backgrounds. Every single person in the world has a different perspective of the world. We're all living in our own unique reality. So to become curious and to get interested rather than focus on being interesting, we're able to learn so much more about others and have more compassion. Love to hear some of the things you do to become more curious and to get more interested in others. Definitely feel free to reach out on Twitter, on Instagram, at Esprit Devora, and enjoy the next episode. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast featuring women in tech around the world. So excited to bring to you our next guest from Los Angeles. Hello, Anita. Hello, how are you? 
so good. It is really nice where you're at outside. I know that I have the same outside that you have, but I'm not in the outside currently. So I'm a little bit jealous. To kick things off, why don't you go ahead, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I am an aerospace engineer. I think that's how I always describe myself. And I worked for the space program most of my career. And then I decided to venture out into the entrepreneurial space and into the academic space. And tell us, what does that look like now? What are you entrepreneuring? I am also a pilot and uh, I also care about climate change. So what I wanted to do was to facilitate the development of green transportation technologies. So I spent a little bit of a stint working at a Hyperloop a technology company, which is obviously a green form of ground transport. And now I'm investigating electric aviation. And not to make any assumptions, can you tell everybody a little bit about what Hyperloop is and why it is such a significant company? Hyperloop is a new form of transportation, and there are many different startups across the world, actually, at this point now. What it is best described as a maglev train operating inside of a vacuum tube. So it's able to magnetically levitate, electrically propel itself, but go to really fast speeds at low energy consumption because it's inside of a vacuum tube, which means all the air around it has been sucked out, basically eliminating aerodynamic drag. When did you first become interested in technology? I have been a lifelong science fiction fan, so probably since I was six years of age, I've been nerding out on a variety of different (laughs) forms of science fiction. So I kind of knew that I wanted to be involved in the space program at a very early age. Who put the science fiction in front of you? Was it something at school? Was it something your parents brought to your attention? So my dad was also a big science fiction fan, so we would watch uh, reruns of Star Trek, the original series together, and my dad was also a mechanical engineer. So I think he never admitted that he liked Star Trek, but I knew that he did, because <laughs> so, he watched it all the time with me. <laughs> so I would say that probably is what started it, but I was also a huge fan of Doctor Who, old school Doctor Who, and I would watch reruns of it on public television in New York. How did you parlay your early interest in tech into it becoming a profession? Like, when did you start studying it and immersing yourself into the world to really become experienced in the space? As a child, I would go around and fix things. So I would help my dad fix the car. I would install electrical outlets. I would fix the pool pumps. I would just always be doing things with my hands and helping my dad fix things. So I knew that engineering was kind of the right degree for me because it combined physics with uh, hands-on work. Then I just went and got all my degrees in aerospace engineering, BS, MS, and PhD, and was able to work in the SPOS program, basically my first job working for Boeing. And so I just had a really long career doing that for about 20 years. I love how your first job was working for Boeing. I mean, I think that that's unique. Is that not unique? And I'm just unaware. A lot of people, when they think about Boeing, they think about it as an aviation company. And obviously, it is a huge aviation company, but it also has a space and communications division where it does launch vehicles, the Delta IV launch vehicle. That was my first job working as a rocket scientist on the cryogenic propulsion system. And it also does communication satellites. So it has a whole variety of things that it does in its industrial capacity. So you've been able to move around within the company for a really long time and kind of sample the different interests that you have. Is that accurate? I worked for Boeing for a total of three years, and then I joined NASA. So I worked for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory for a total of 16 years. So I had a few stints at Boeing, one where I worked on launch vehicles, a little bit on the space shuttle, and a little bit on communication satellites, and then a little bit on a reusable space vehicle called X-37. And then I shifted over to NASA. And have you left the job world entirely to go entrepreneur, or do you still have your feet in both worlds? 
I have my feet in, I guess, multiple different areas. So I'm also a research professor at USC. So I am able to continue to do research both on the transportation and the space exploration front there. But entrepreneurialism, I think now was the right time in my career to start my own company, to be able to facilitate new technology developments with me at the helm. And what does your company do? I'm currently incubating three different projects. One is hydrogen fuel cell powered plane. Another one um, in which I'm a member of the team is a supersonic aircraft, which is working to mitigate noise disturbances from the sonic boom. And then the other one of which I'm a co-founder does electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft for urban air mobility. What did you study in school? So I got all my degrees in aerospace engineering, and then I focused my PhD research on plasma propulsion systems, or basically propulsion systems which are very efficient for use for interplanetary space travel. Who do you go to when you find something is potentially daunting, like maybe a certain formula is hard to figure out or a certain piece of what you're doing is a little bit more complicated than you expected? How do you learn? How do you feel supported? I think that's one of the biggest challenges um, when you take on something new and complicated and difficult is that obviously you're not going to know everything to be able to do the job. So you have to surround yourself by people who can help you. One way to do that is with mentors. You can have mentors who are technical mentors as well as leadership mentors. And then the other way to do that is to have a really large network of people. And you could use a network like LinkedIn. You could use other networks like Facebook, for example, where you can go and get advice from people. And when it comes to sort of on the job, you probably have a network of people at your company with companies that you've worked with in the past that you can go to people there for advice on different things. And so a great example I like to give is one of my roles uh, when I worked at uh, JPL was the supersonic parachute for the Mars Science Laboratory mission. And I obviously didn't have a background in parachutes. Nobody does. But I was able to surround myself with people who were experts and I learned from them. I know this might sound like a funny question, but how do you ask for help? I think it's in the context of what you're asking for. If you set up a mentor-mentee relationship with somebody, then it's a natural part of your interaction where you'll be asking them for advice and bouncing ideas off of them. So that's a type of help. Sometimes you literally just have to ask for help because you're running an experiment. You need somebody to help you, I don't know, close the vacuum chamber door, for example. So it really depends upon the instance and the nature of the help. You do have to ask. And one of the things that I think I learned over time, basically maturing from an undergraduate student to a graduate student, is it's really important to ask questions and asking questions of people who know more than you is also a form of help. So many people ask me, how do I find a mentor? What does a mentor relationship look like? You surround yourself by all these smart people. For you, what does that look like? How often are you allowed to ask them questions? And just think it's such a normal thing to sometimes not want to ask questions because you don't want to look like that person who doesn't know the answer or who isn't capable. So how are you able to hold on to your confidence? And it's not about that. It's about being your best self and being surrounded by a community of people who want to support you and elevate you. There's many things to unpack in that. And one is that a lot of people aren't aware that they can even get a mentor at their own company, at their own institution, or with different online resources. So not even knowing how to find a mentor probably is a huge hurdle for people initially. And it was a hurdle that I faced where I didn't have a mentor until about 10 years into my career. And I only found out about sort of the concept of mentoring because I was at a conference and there was a gentleman giving a keynote at the conference saying all the different things that I've been able to get help on from my mentors over the course of my career. So then I went home the next day when I got back from the conference 
conference said, how am I going to get myself a mentor at work, for example, I think is about sort of wisdom and personal growth is that you have to be a lifelong learner. And without asking questions, you just simply can't grow as a leader, as an engineer, whatever your profession happens to be. And what holds people back sometimes, I think, is just insecurity because they don't want to make it sound like they don't know what they're doing. But when you're humble, when you recognize what Socrates said, which is the only thing that we know is that we don't actually know anything, then you can kind of learn <laughs> a lot from that point forward. <laughs> I needed to hear that today. The only thing we know is that we don't know anything. And that's how we're able to learn. Because if you acknowledge that you might have learned something, but there's still an infinite number of things that you don't know, then you can constantly continue to train yourself and learn more and more and more. I absolutely love it. What is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. What is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? As a much younger person, self-confidence. So I think this is a challenge for a lot of people who belong to underrepresented groups where you don't see a lot of people who look like you, therefore you lack confidence in what you do. And there's many different studies I'm sure would show that that's the case for women in the STEM fields and maybe for minorities in the STEM fields as well. So I think building your own self-confidence is probably one of the biggest hurdles that I faced early on in my career and I think a lot of people still do. How did you build your self-confidence? What did that journey look like? This is really interesting, and it's hard for me to attach it to a single thing. But one of the things I decided to do was I wanted to do more public speaking. And I was given the opportunity when I was at JPL to go and speak to middle school students about a topic that might be interesting for them that I knew. And so I decided to go off and sort of teach middle school students about propulsion, about rocket science. And in order to be able to teach a really complicated subject, group of people who don't know anything relative to what you know, that's actually a very difficult thing to do. So when you're able to communicate really difficult concepts, to people like kids, for example, or even just sort of people out in general public, you're able to understand your own subject matter better. It actually builds confidence in yourself. So my doing a lot of public speaking then starting to be a teacher by teaching at university, I think also helped me to establish more self-confidence in myself. I know focus is such a trendy word, but you are exploring different areas of your expertise, including being a pilot. What does the word focus mean to you? I'm a little bit of a special case because at one point, you know, early on in my career, I was working full time, working on my pilot's license and working on my graduate degree. <laughs> so I had to like sink or swim. So I basically had to use up every hour of every day, including the weekends in order to be able to get my full time job trained for my pilot's license as well as do my research. So I was just in this strange situation where I had to do it in order to be able to do all three things at once. And anything I've done in my career since then has been much easier. <laughs> They say necessity is the mother of invention and then breathing from the fire hose. Is that what they say as well? It was that kind of situation for me. But in general, I think time management is key. And so when you have deadlines or when you give yourself deadlines, you're able to better allocate your time. And then the other aspect, I think, is prioritization. Make sure that you spend the time on the high priority things and not as much time on the low priority things. And how do you manage your time? Like, do you have something you could share with us that we could walk away with and become more effective on how we manage our own time? 
I don't necessarily have a tool in the context of my day-to-day -day life, but one of the most powerful project management tools is obviously to use a schedule. Over the course of my career, I've used many, many schedules that have been built in Microsoft Project, for example. But I think you don't have a schedule like that in order to manage your life, but having a calendar and being able to put on your calendar when things are due, meetings that you have, maybe setting aside time for yourself, which is alone time, thinking time. I think those are all different ways that you can manage your time. You can do that with a schedule on paper, with a schedule on your phone, on your computer, but just being cognizant of when you have deliverables that are due. But I think the real key though is the prioritization because it's really easy to get overwhelmed with too many things to do. You have to really focus on sort of the 80%, which is really important and take the 20%, which isn't as important, put it off to the side. And speaking of scheduling, can you share with us a little bit about your day-to-day? -day? What does your day-to-day -day look like? It kind of depends. And obviously things have changed now as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic up until about you know a month and a half ago or so. I was traveling around the world on a regular basis. So I'd probably leave the country about, I think, at least once a month, just because I have a lot of different speaking engagements and business development activities that I do on behalf of areas of my expertise and on behalf of my company. But now that I'm more LA-based because of the current COVID pandemic. I do a lot of web-based meetings and I also do a lot of web-based training. So one of the things I'm working on now is my commercial pilot's license. And where do you learn that? Many different online courses that you can take. And that's the component of it for you to do the practical written exam. There's still obviously a practical component, which you have to do, what you do up in the air in an airplane. <laughs> you can do it on a simulator, but I choose to do my training in, in an airplane. One of my favorite questions to ask is, what is your favorite tech tool? It could be software, website, mobile app. Really lame, Excel. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound lame. Go for it. Right now, I'm using it quite a bit to analyze the data, which is coming back from LA County for COVID-19. I find it to be a very effective tool to visualize data and also to analyze data. So you can unpack all kinds of information from doing data analysis. And Excel is a great tool. Is there any kind of resource or learning tool you'd recommend if someone wants to become a master in Excel like you are? I wouldn't say that I'm a master. I just use it a lot. So I think it's pretty user friendly. So you kind of just have to fiddle around. Oh, it is not. <laughs> I guess I've used it for so long. See, you're a master. Actually, this is a really interesting point. Okay, so one of my mentors, Tucker Max, tells me all the time, I always have imposter syndrome. Like I always feel like, why would anybody find value over me sharing this thing, whatever the thing is, right? And I'm like, it's just so easy. And he's like, no, it's because you're an expert in it. That's why it's easy for you. That's the point. It's not easy for people that don't have the expertise that you have. I feel like that's what's happening with your Excel mastery. <laughs> You're like, it's easy. And I'm like, actually, I've always wanted to be an Excel master and it is so complicated. <laughs> I think it's just because I have to use it a lot. But for me, I definitely didn't take any classes. It's just something that I learned on the job and the different functionality. But I just find it to be quite useful. Like, for example, when I worked on the Delta IV launch vehicle program, I had to set up a model for the helium pressurization system. I did that in Excel as well. <laughs> to analyzing COVID-19 data. I'm curious, have you been on a podcast before? Yes, many times. A lot of our guests haven't. And so I just kind of like to reveal who has and who hasn't. And the intent behind it is to show all listeners, you don't have to have been on a podcast in order to be on one. And so we have a great mix of women who have been on several like yourself, including a guest I interviewed earlier today. And 
so many women that this was the first show that they've ever been on. And I hope that people listening to this show will totally poach all of our guests and celebrate them more and more and more. I'm like, yes, celebrate as many women as possible. Let me show you where they all are. Like <laughs> Podcasts are great because they're so conversational. So it's much better than an interview. Oh, totally. Speaking of interviews and everything that you have going on, if somebody wanted to embark on the same journey and land where you are now, where do they get started? Should they pick up a particular book to see if it's the right personality match for them? Where do you recommend that they get started in their journey? So if I was to focus it on the space program, for example, I wrote an article relatively recently. And one of the questions was, what is the thing that people didn't know about the space program? And one of them is like that people think it's really hard to work for NASA. And I don't think that's true. I think you just have to really want to work for NASA, be really passionate about it, and then get trained in an area where obviously NASA could use your skill set. And that doesn't have to be aerospace engineering. It could be chemical engineering. It could be biology. It could be graphic design. It could be physics. It could be mathematics. I think training is the key to getting to where you want to go. And whether or not that's training for something artistic or for something uh, technical or for something, I don't know, musical, I think training is kind of the key to get to where you want to go. And what you can do is you can find people who are at the place that you want to be in five years and 10 years, for example, and then see what their trajectory was like. What do they have to do to get there and then try and follow that? One question I ask, um, and I feel like you'll have an answer, is what is your favorite book? What's one that you think is like everybody should read that's like inspiring or will help them accelerate in some way? This is an obscure one and it's more sci-fantasy, but Midnight at the Well of Souls. I love that book. It's a series of books and it's about this other place in the universe where a computer controls their reality. And it's not to say it's the best book or the best written book, but it was one of the books that I read when I was really young. And then since then, I've continued to read this author's books again and again and again. So it was kind of just more of like transformative moment for me when I was reading these books as a young person that made me think that there were so many other things out there and then wanting to understand physics in more detail because the whole concept of the book is that the universe is controlled by you know mathematical equations. I love it. Is there anything that you wanted to share that you haven't shared yet? I think that everybody is capable of being whatever it is they want to be. I actually truly believe that. Like if you wanted to play soccer for a living, maybe you couldn't work for the Galaxy, for example, but you certainly could play soccer in a league. Or if you wanted to work for NASA, like I said before, if you wanted to be a musician, maybe you wouldn't be the person on the Grammy Awards, but you can be a performer in a variety of different areas. So I think if you want to do something in life, the only person probably standing in the way of you achieving that is yourself. So um, you can empower yourself to accomplish pretty much anything. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, Anita, for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech around the world, remember you can connect on the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Takes you straight there. That's womenintechvip.com. And say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye bye. Hi, my name is Anita Sengupta, and I'm a research professor of astronautics at the University of Southern California, and I'm also co-founder of ASX. And my areas of focus, research, and expertise are space exploration, space exploration technologies, and electric aviation. I'm based in Los Angeles, California, and you're listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. 
I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you, and I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.